0: Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for Monday, January 22nd, 2024. I'm senior producer Lou DeVizio. Lawmakers in Santa Fe have begun week two of the 30-day legislative session at the Roundhouse. Bills are being filed after Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham set her agenda for the legislature during a 51-minute State of the State address last week. On the podcast today, we'll look ahead to what might get done, in addition to the main priority of passing what's expected to be another record-setting state budget. But first, let's get into some headlines from around New Mexico. Federal authorities are investigating what appears to be a corruption case involving multiple Albuquerque police officers, a prominent criminal defense attorney, and DWI cases in the metro area. That investigation has prompted the Bernalillo County District Attorney to dismiss more than 150 drunk driving cases in what he calls the interest of justice. APD spokesman Gilbert Gallegos says several officers are either on administrative leave or reassigned within the department. News organizations around New Mexico first learned of the investigation after the FBI executed search warrants at homes of at least one APD officer and defense attorney Thomas Clear. Clear told City Desk ABQ he was in the hospital when the raid happened and that he didn't know anything about the investigation. No charges have been filed in connection with the case. Following news of the raids and a federal investigation, the 2nd Judicial District's Attorney's Office dismissed 152 misdemeanor DWI cases as of Friday morning. Those cases could still be refiled. District Attorney Sam Bregman said in a statement that the dismissals were, quote, a gut punch, but added that his prosecutorial ethics required him to temporarily dismiss the cases. Friday on New Mexico in Focus, I'll ask Bregman about the dismissals and what he knows about the ongoing investigation. Actor Alec Baldwin is once again facing criminal charges after a Santa Fe County grand jury indictment in the fatal shooting of cinematographer Halina Hutchins on the Rust film set. The grand jury indicted Baldwin on one count of involuntary manslaughter, alleging the negligent use of a firearm when it went off in his hand, killing Hutchins. That charge could carry an 18-month sentence. This is the second time Baldwin has faced criminal charges in the shooting. The initial case was dismissed for further investigation last April with the option to refile charges. Rust's assistant director, David Halls, and armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, were also charged in connection with Hutchins' death. Halls pleaded no contest in March to a charge of negligent use of a deadly weapon, earning him six months of probation in the plea deal. Gutierrez-Reed's case is scheduled to go to trial next month. The New Mexico Environment Department is asking for $600,000 in legislative funding to establish state authority for safeguarding waterways. The request follows a U.S. Supreme Court ruling that removed federal protection for most of them. The funding would support the creation of a database to identify waters that are no longer federally protected and those that are most vulnerable to pollution and development. The Santa Fe New Mexican reports last year state lawmakers allocated $680,000 to initiate a permitting program for water protection. This year, State Senator Sia Correa-Hemphill has introduced a bill for even more funding—$840,000—to help water monitoring and enforcement of existing state protections. Tricia Snyder, Rivers and Water Program Director for New Mexico Wild, tells the Santa Fe New Mexican that our state's waterways are among the most vulnerable in the country because she says New Mexico is one of three states that has no authority to regulate industrial polluted discharges under the Clean Water Act. For our first segment on the pod this week, we turn to correspondent Gwyneth Doland, who will spend time during the next four weeks monitoring the legislature during its 30-day session. To get an idea of what we can expect to see at the Capitol, Gwyneth chats with two journalists who are also covering the session, starting with their reaction to the key moments in the governor's address, including three separate protests that interrupted it. Joining Gwyneth virtually are Trip Jennings, the executive director of New Mexico In-Depth, and Jessica Ansuras, news director with Gannett and the USA Today Network.
1: Thanks, Sue. Joining me today are Trip Jennings, Executive Director at New Mexico In Depth, and Jessica Ansures, who is News Director for several of Gannett's newspapers in Southern New Mexico. Glad to have you both here today. Thank Uh, you. In this first segment, we're gonna play a series of clips from the Governor's State of the State Address on Tuesday. Then we're gonna talk about what she said. So let's get to it. We all saw that sound bite from the opening of tonight's show. The one where she said none of the rest of this session's work matters unless the state is a safe place for the residents. Tripp, it is clear that this is a huge priority for the governor, but how do you expect some of her more controversial proposals to play out this session?
2: Well, you know, I I was reviewing the speech, I was up there Tuesday, uh, and also looking at the, you know, the political composition of the House and the Senate, you know, basically, uh, the Democrats are handily in charge, I mean, 45 seats uh, out of 70 in the House and 47, uh, I'm sorry, 27 out of the 42 in the Senate. At the same time, you're going to have a really robust debate on like assault rifle ban on a 14 day waiting period because even though you have um you know wide margins of democrat control in the legislature um this is an issue where you're not going to see uh, what i think some people might see as the you know the political breakdown democrats republicans that's not gonna be the case in new mexico it's going to be a really robust uh, debate here
1: there's more division in the in the democratic party about this maybe there's less than there used to to be but there is still a lot of division we've got urban versus rural representation things like that right uh jessica during last year's state of the state address the governor got a standing ovation when she called for an assault weapons ban this year she got a similar applause break for her public safety package but has the conversation changed about the topic of gun control in the past year How is this resonating in southern New Mexico, too?
3: So I think if you look at southern New Mexico, and and this goes back to the point you were making, urban versus rural. In you know, our rural communities, we see guns as a cultural, historic, significant part of our everyday life. So when you talk about it in terms of bans, you're going to get an emotional reaction and you're going to get this sense that the politicos in Santa Fe are doing everything they can to interrupt um, what we see as part of our everyday life. But I think to your to your question, Gwen, is this last year has shifted that conversation a bit because we've seen in our smaller rural communities the impacts of guns. Look at what happened up in Farmington, a mass shooting where um, a high schooler, you know, in a matter of minutes was um, able to cause massive destruction, um, including, you know, killing three people and wounding a Farmington police officer. We've seen guns turned on children in communities, not only in Albuquerque, but if you look very closely, it's what, what's happening in our rural communities there as well. So I think it opens the door for people to be um, more, I, I don't want to say enthusiastic, but definitely more open to having the conversation about guns, about gun safety. And when you use the term automatic weapons or assault rifles or assault weapons, that's always going to be one of those catchphrases that is going to you know, stir, up, uh, stir up the blood. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, when you see applause uh, for comments like that coming from the governor, you definitely see that there's probably opportunity for her and her administration to take it a little further.
1: Let's shift gears now for a minute and look at the governor's big station uh, statement on public education. But
4: we have to come together, and the priority here is our kiddos and their families. And it is time for New Mexico, in the same way that when we put our minds to anything, we become the best at it in the country. Why wouldn't we have the best public education outcomes, bar none, in the country? Well, that's my goal and I hope that it is yours too.
1: As a state, New Mexico is not currently near the top of uh, any of these public education lists. We are at the bottom. Now, the governor did mention that we've made progress on reading a a four to 5% increase um, in grades three through eight. Um, But when she said she wanted us to be first in education, is this a setup for disappointment? I, I don't know. I'm going to go to you, Tripp. What do you think?
2: I think I. this is my 19th session covering the New Mexico legislature. And um, basically, people have been saying this for years. And I'm not trying to dimin- diminish or discount what she said. But um, th- where we are right now has been a you know succession of generations. This is not something that you solve in four years, and two years. This is going to be like a generational challenge um, for and... Yes, there's going to be work that's done at the legislative level, but schools are going to be, how do you implement like new programs, money going into schools? Um, Do you create a pipeline for more, I'm going to say indigenous teachers? You know, there's all, there's a lot of different aspects to this very deep, complex conversation.
1: I have heard, we heard from the governor and I heard from House Minority Leader Ryan Lane, a similar talk about literacy and, and a focus on literacy. Do you think there could be progress there?
2: Tripp. Um, yeah, uh, yes. But again, it's going to, it's going gonna um, to be, it's going to be, it's going to take years. This is, I think when you see a, a speech, like a state of the state uh, speech, this is a, this is, uh trying to create momentum, trying to create, you know, there's a messaging that's going across. Um speaking of like we just talked about the ovation around guns. 31 seconds I counted they, they, people stood up. That's a me- that's an old news you know reporter's trick is counting you know the seconds. But creating um, it's a marketing. it's that they're trying yeah. to create this momentum in the legislature at the same time. anybody who fol- follows these issues knows that education, like a lot of issues that legislatures tackle, extraordinarily complex, complicated generations of effort, money but also curriculum also i mean there's so many aspects to education. and yet politicians
1: they're... want immediate results that they can campaign on right the that, governor well, yeah and yes. the governor addressed the state's housing crisis several times during the speech this is a kitchen table issue let's take a listen to this one
4: yet too often housing development is stalled by a complicated web of zoning and permitting requirements that vary from city to city and county to county to build for the future, we need to fund development, smart, fair, equitable development. And then we need to get, quite frankly, the hell out of our own way.
1: Luhan Grisham wants $500 million for two different programs. One, to build new houses. Number two, uh, the other is expanding home buying programs. And she wants to create a state office of housing. We think of this often, these housing issues, as a local issue, and it's a big issue in Albuquerque in particular. Are lawmakers from other parts of the state going to have an appetite for this? Jessica, what do you think?
3: I think the answer directly is yes. I mean, look at what's happening in Las Cruces. We have a significant deficit in the amount of housing units that are needed um, for that city's growing population and for its current population, honestly. Um, they've had setbacks in terms of financing and executing uh, housing development projects. Um, you know, and these are single family homes that are, are much needed. We're not talking about um, McMansions in the 200 dollars $300,000 um, level. We are talking about sensible homes for New Mexican families. And so I do believe that if you poll across New Mexico, you're going to find support for growing that. Um, maybe even, you know, support for beyond $500 million is a big number, but is it big enough to tackle the extreme need in the state? And, and honestly, I think if you're looking at Southern New Mexico, yeah, the appetite is definitely there. If you're looking at Northern New Mexico, particularly in our tribal regions, yes, the appetite is going to be there. And I think she kind of knocked it out of the park. um, I'll do respect to the governor when it comes to highlighting an issue that's going to get a lot of support in
1: the state. And I think a lot of people watching the show will say, "Two to three hundred thousand dollars—you can't buy a house in Albuquerque for that anymore." I mean, that—that <laughs> that kind of—that shows you the difference True. around the state. But yes. the, the pressure is real. Um, well, I think 200
3: dollars to $300,000 homes, that's not realistic purchase price for anybody in Carlsbad and anybody in Hobbs and anybody in Lovington. So, right. But those are the types of homes being built.
1: Exactly, now the governor went off script while addressing three moments of protest during her address. Let's look at those.
4: Far too many young people find themselves locked into a situation where it's very hard to have clarity about the right steps forward. And rather, we wouldn't, we all want a situation where we embrace differences of opinion, some discord, maybe a disruption or an interruption, while we recognize that we're not going to have all the answers to the world's problems, certainly not in today's speech, maybe not even in tomorrow's actions.
1: The governor was interrupted three times by protesters, members of the Youth United for Climate Crisis action. They broke in with chants, calling for action on climate change and a ceasefire in the months-long war between Israel and Hamas. How did the governor handle this? Uh, trip? I know you were there. Jessica, I'm sure you were watching. What did you think of how she handled it?
2: I mean, honestly, she, uh, I thought, handled it really well. She she basically kind of said, hey, um, thank you for the protest We're, you know, th- 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 these young people have a right for speech. Um, we need to I heard also we we need to listen to them, you know, but um, I, I thought she handled it with great aplomb. Frankly, I it was not. Didn't knock her off her stride at all. Um, so I thought she handled it like, like I said, very well, and um, it was a very peaceful thing. The security folks marched the, the 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 folks out, and they gathered outside the Capitol, and they chanted. And um, I know there was some uh, maybe discombobulation among some people up at the the Roundhouse, but um,
1: yeah, you know. and and I was in the gallery, I was watching, uh, waiting for them to get roughed up, and they didn't appear to be. And whenever it's a First Amendment issue, reporters are the first to criticize, but. Yeah, that's a good take on it. I I wanna close this first discussion with this. The state auditor, Joseph Maestas, told the Santa Fe, New Mexican, it's a 30-day session. There's a 15-day cutoff for introducing new legislation, so it's gonna be hectic, 15 days. That should put this short session into perspective. Is the governor asking too much from our elected officials by trying to pack a a month-long budget session with proposals aimed at things outside of the budget, social issues, guns, uh, housing. And does this bring back last year's talks to modernize the state legislature? Uh, You know, extend the sessions, add paid staff, things like that. Uh, What do you think, Jessica?
3: Well, I certainly think it, as you you pointed out, puts it into perspective and reinvigorates that conversation about do we want to, quote unquote, modernize our legislature? Do we want to make it a less of a voluntary public body and more of a business of, of lawmaking? And there are some, you know, there's some pros to that. They get more time to look at the legislation coming before them. They get more time to compromise on items and be smart about how they are spending New Mexico taxpayer dollars um, in a budget. But you're looking at 30 days. And if anything, this is probably going to be a proving ground for many of those measures she's trying to get um, across. You know, we've got the full session coming up next year. We, as Tripp pointed out earlier, we have a kind of dynamic um, thing happening between Democrats and Republicans within both of the chambers, um, the House and the Senate. Um, I'd I'd be fairly surprised if most of these items um, made it to the finish line, but it's definitely going to be interesting to watch
1: if not chaotic and hectic Jessica just thank you so much for that and thank you trip I'm sorry to cut you short but we have a packed show today we'll be watching coverage from the Gannett papers and from New Mexico in depth
0: in the days following the governor's speech that launched the legislature into its 30-day session lawmakers from both parties are developing their own priorities and strategies to see them through For state Republicans, minority party leaders Senator Gregory Baca and T. Ryan Lane are leading those discussions. This week, Gwyneth takes us inside the roundhouse to ask how they plan to move forward after hearing the governor's agenda for the
5: state this year.
1: Representative Lane, thank you so much for being with us today.
5: Welcome to the People's House.
1: What was your reaction to the governor's State of the State address this week?
5: Well, if you listen to the governor's uh, State of the State, you would think that New Mexico is essentially first in every important metric, but unfortunately we are dead last. Um, you know I was disappointed in a couple things. One is she didn't mention CYFD at all and that has been a huge issue for all of New Mexico. Um, you're talking about our most vulnerable children and, and that agency has been a failure. I mean there, there are actual deaths that are occurring within that organization and to not mention what we're going to do to try to tackle that in that 30 day, I thought that was a gross oversight. Uh, that's one of those where or silence speaks volumes. The other thing she didn't mention was anything about agriculture, oil, and gas. Uh, you know, we have a three and a half billion dollar surplus because of, you know, oil. And so that was something that I found disappointing as well. Uh,
1: the governor had a big public safety agenda, yeah. uh, and some of it. Can you work with some of it? What about pretrial detention?
5: Yeah, pretrial detention is a huge issue for New Mexico, particularly in the metro areas. Um, we have a problem with career criminals getting arrested, rightfully so, and then released prior to trial. So these aren't folks that first time offenders, um, these are folks that have proven time and time again that they're gonna repeat offend. And so there's no reason that career criminals should be released prior to trial.
1: And yet they are, you're a lawyer, yeah. they are innocent until proven guilty. Mm-hmm. So we have a tension here uh, between individual rights and the rights of a society, right? So. Yeah. How do you feel about this when it comes to these uh, public safety proposals? Because half of them are gun measures, and that's uh, an individual rights issue, right?
5: Yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of of liberty. It's one of our foundational concepts. But the reality is whenever you violate the law repeatedly, um, you've now forfeited your right to, to be released prior to trial, right? So you still get your trial by jury, still get your day in court, if you're innocent, you can be released, but the fact that you're a, a multi-time felon, I think that's enough to say, well, we're going to keep you in until you do get released. Now when it comes to guns, uh, you know, one of the things that the governor literally said is she doesn't want to infringe on essentially the rights of law-abiding citizens, and that, but that's exactly what her gun proposals are doing. Uh, if you look at our, our crime, if you look at whether it's a mass shooting, it doesn't matter, um, almost without exception you have folks that are felons committing those crimes. Um, and for those, they don't follow the law, right? And so it's already all awful for a felon to own a firearm, to possess a firearm, but still they commit a crime with a firearm. So to me, the answer is not more laws, right? The issue is we have got to tackle it at a foundational level. And for me, that's something like mental health is a huge issue. Um, and it's also, again, combating career criminals
1: philosophically, when we're talking about infringing on people's rights, Mm -hmm. it's okay to keep someone who's already committed some crimes in jail before trial, before they've been proven guilty because they have a track record. But what about forcing people to undergo treatment for substance abuse?
5: So, you know, I I think I look at it more of exploring concepts like how do we keep people from becoming career criminals, right? I think that's sort of one of the foundational questions. And and we have a a concept to where You create these these triage centers, if you will, where law enforcement comes into contact with an individual. They're having a mental health crisis or a drug crisis. They don't have a a laundry list of offenses in in their past. And so they can make a decision and take them to one of these triage centers uh, and where that person can receive mental health treatment, drug addiction treatment, and stay out of the criminal justice system and get the help they need and get their life back in order. And if they can't follow those terms, then we pursue the criminal justice track. Right now, what we do is we just send everybody to jail, we send everybody through the court system, and inevitably what ends up happening is you end up learning how to become a criminal, and that's the cycle that we want to stop.
1: Now, when it comes back to guns, um, the GOP has been fairly disciplined on this message. Democrats, not so much. There's still some, uh, you know, division in their ranks. Do you have friends that you're going to work with across the aisle to defeat, try and defeat some of the governor's gun control measures?
5: You know, New Mexico is a a very interesting state. It's a Democrat state, clearly, Um, but there is wide support for the Second Amendment on both the left and the right in the state. Um, It's part of our know our tradition whether it's hunting whether it's shooting sports whether it's self-defense and so i see these gun laws being highly uh unpopular with the populace and so i I suspect that there will be some some democrats i hope that they will stand up and vote no because i think that's what the people of new mexico are wanting and demanding
1: now uh public uh safety stuff aside we're here to do the budget Mm -hmm. what are three things you really want to accomplish with the budget
5: So, you know, one of the things that we've been pushing is we want to grow the economy and not the government. Uh, And so in a 30-day session, it's all about the budget, but what we've seen a lot of times in the past with the budgets when they roll out is they're expanding state government, expanding state government, expanding state government. But when you talk to the people on the street, they don't have great experience with state government. And so it doesn't seem like we're actually fixing any problems. And so if we're going to spend money, I think as a legislature, we need to look at things like infrastructure, one-time spending. Let's not do these recurring spending projects to where in future years of the price of oil tanks, now we're trying to scramble and cut programs because that confuses citizens too. So I think let's look at you know, bridges, roads, those kinds of things. Um, water is a huge issue. Let's, let's tackle water projects. Um, These are all one-time spends that we can do now that we have this much revenue without obligating us in future years to continue to spend that money.
1: Thank you so much for talking to us today. You bet, yeah, pleasure. Senator Baca, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Um, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham outlined her priorities for this session during the State of the State speech on Tuesday, um, and she included a package of gun control measures. This is an assault weapons ban, raising the purchase age to 21, a two week cooling off period or waiting period. Um, You know, and the Republican Party has made itself clear that this is an affront to responsible gun owners. But you know, this week especially, um, aren't we talking about responsible gun owners? You know, we just saw a gun fall out of some lady's purse in a restaurant in Albuquerque and shoot a 73-year-old man in the head. So my question is, does something more need to be done for the non-responsible gun owners?
6: You know, there are non responsible gun owners and there's non responsible people that drive cars and non responsible uh, others that that maybe don't do as well as they should in some other areas. But what we don't do is we don't punish an entire populace for these singular individuals when there's an occurrence like that. Um, Essentially what she's asking. The, what she's asking the legislature to do is to pass bills and turn into law restrictions on people that otherwise abide by the law rather than focusing on the criminals themselves. In the past, Republicans and others have introduced a number of, of uh, very common sense crime measures geared towards keeping people behind bars um, and punishing those that do wrong. We'd like to focus on that instead instead of uh, of actually barring the general public from ex- exercising their constitutional rights.
1: Well, I'm not surprised to hear you say that, but I was a little bit surprised to see her package, her kind of tough-on-crime package, um, which includes, you know, banning panhandling, uh, mandatory treatment for drug addicts, keeping in jail people in jail before trial, and uh, also some tougher penalties on burglars, but what do you think about that package
6: well you know one of them is, is is something that we can work off and sounds like something that that could be um, implemented in new mexico which is the pretrial detention and the rebut, rebuttable presumption but the other bills i mean look at them panhandling is that really our biggest crime issue in this state. When we lead the nation in pedestrian deaths, we lead the nation in other things like auto theft. Um, we have high murder rates. That's what we need to be focusing on. These repeat offenders that keep committing these heinous crimes rather than this somewhat of a facade that we're going to do something about crime, but we're really not going to introduce anything that's effective.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so You know, the governor also said, I'm moving to education here, that her goal is for New Mexico to lead the nation on educational outcomes. Uh, Currently, we're 50. So is there anything in her package of proposals that you think could move us up to lead the nation on education?
6: Well, she promised us a few years back the moonshot. Let's take the moonshot. Where have we gone from from there? We've really moved nowhere. I think the proposals that she has are band-aids at best. I think we need to look at restructuring what PED is and how they work. We need to look at more local control from school boards that are elected by their communities, rather than having PED uh, lay a heavy hand across the whole state. And we need to consider things like uh, freedom of choice uh, as it pertains to education, and allowing people to keep some of their money and seek the educational uh, uh, services that they desire for their own children.
1: I know uh, a lot of Republicans are chafing against this governor's proposals right now, and in fact, you've got a bill that would restrict some of the powers of the office of the governor.
6: Um, That's correct. Uh, Basically what it would do is it would just limit the public health orders so that the legislature has some authority and say in the matter rather than having an executive that can uh, has carte blanche when it comes to these health orders. We just saw a massive overreach this last month when she used a health order to restrict guns. Uh, Once again, uh, a a blatant violation, and uh, even the federal government through the court system stepped in to restrict her from implementing that policy. And so this just um, really is common sense. Um, It would apply to her and any other governor occupying that office going forward, and it gives the people a say in the matter. Rather than having a monarchy, we can get back to a democratic republic, which we are.
1: Uh, we're talking all about guns and stuff like that but really this session is about the budget what are your top three things you have got to see in this budget before you go home
6: well one of the things that i am seeing that i wouldn't like to see is this increase in the budget we are now at ten and a half billion dollar projected budget when i got here just seven years ago that number was 5.8 anybody who thinks that is sustainable is kidding themselves Um, we can't support this kind of spending going forward i wish we would practice more like we do in our own homes where we save for a rainy day Um, we plan for when times aren't as good and we do have a good time right now uh, where there's a plentiful amount of money thanks to oil and gas and the extractive industries in this state but we just need to use common sense approaches to the budget like that this stuff isn't that complicated we're pulling the wool over people's eyes when we spend money like we are right now
1: Senator Baca,
6: thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much. Thank you for
0: your time today. Thanks to Gwyneth and our crew for their work at the Capitol this week. You can expect reports from the Roundhouse each week here on New Mexico and Focus, the podcast, and on our show Friday nights. That includes a conversation with Democratic leadership coming up soon. Now, we turn back to our virtual roundtable of journalists to zero in on a few specific areas we expect lawmakers to address, economic development the environment, public safety, and education. Here's Gwyneth.
1: As we consider lawmakers' constitutional mandate during this 30-day session, we want to focus first on the budget and our state's relationship with the oil and gas industry. According to reporting from Capitol and Maine journalist Jerry Redfern, nearly 40% of this year's general fund budget comes from oil and gas. The governor and elected officials certainly support that industry and the vital bump that it gives to the state budget. But New Mexico voters consistently say they want action on climate change, though the legislature has rarely delivered. I wanna ask you guys, will this year be different? Will there be action on climate? So Glenn, can I ask which voters are we talking about? Are we talking about Northern New Mexico
3: voters? Are we talking about Southern New Mexico voters? Because I think the relationship that New Mexicans have with oil and gas, and with um, the sense that they want a safe, healthy uh, state with clean air, clean water, beautiful land, is going to differ um, based on that. Um, we have consistently seen bills to regulate the oil and gas industry, despite you know the the, the split in in um, Republicans and Democrats fail in the legislature, and that's because I think we all understand that oil and gas is, its future is connected to the future of New Mexico. And all of these things that the governor and our legislative bodies want to do to improve the state rests on this industry and the success
1: of this industry. So is it smart to try to interrupt that? Um, You tell me. I mean, we frame it as a conflict all the time. And Lujan Grisham said, we are demonstrating that a healthy environment and a strong economy are not in conflict. But Uh, And, and, you know, she she sort of said we can do these things at the same time. And yet, Representative uh, Deborah Saranyana has introduced a bill that would uh, stop new oil and gas operations within a mile of any school facility. I heard her on KUNM the other day say she has no idea what the governor's doing about this. They're not talking about it. So there is a, a disconnect there. And as we showed earlier, the governor pushed back against environmental protesters just a little bit, saying New Mexico is a clean energy leader and has passed policies cutting oil and gas pollution. This session, though, what energy or pollution bills have been introduced, aside from sarañanas that you guys think we should keep an eye on? Is there anything that you are looking at, Tripp?
2: I mean, I want to say uh, to to this larger issue about New Mexico and the budget, I just want to point this out, that um, we can talk about like oil and gas and climate and up and the thing I want to say is, is that people can uh, be against oil and gas, but they need to understand that oil and gas revenue pays for all these programs that benefit New Mexicans. And by which I mean Medicaid, which is the health insurance and uh, program. So if you start pulling back on this industry, uh, I think you're going to see an effect on the budget. And I, I want to say that uh, really loudly because I'm someone who does actually think that we, the the world has to take the climate thing as real. At the same time, um, New Mexico is number two in oil production, and it's it's gonna it's it it's like a golden goose right now, and all this money is coming into the state Um, and there's at some point this money is going to run out and um, you know there's going to be a deep I have covered legislative sessions where they were not three and a half billion dollars surplus but Maybe a right. billion dollars. We under. have
1: been. You and I remember, and a lot of us who've been covering this remember uh, when there wasn't enough money to go around. But yeah. I want to. I wanted to, Capital in Maine published several stories last year about the state's struggles to enforce our existing regulations. The Environment Department's request for $6 million to increase employee pay to keep people from quitting was not considered by the Legislative Finance Committee. And last year we hosted a panel in this studio following the end of the session when very few environmental bills passed and the most significant ones were vetoed by the governor. Are legislators actually doing anything to properly regulate this industry? And are they using any of the money from industry to focus on mitigation of greenhouse gases or adapt- adaptation to climate change? Are we seeing this? Jessica, are you looking at any of these? Yeah, so let me take a step back, again and just say that I think there are
3: certain proposals in this legislature that are common sense, right? No, we don't want oil and gas operations near schools. I think we can all kind of agree on that. But there are other things like enforcing a 98% uh, gas capture uh, rule across the state, which, you know, is also seems common sense. But um, I think part of this conversation also has to be more about what is industry doing itself to regulate itself. What kind of technologies, research and development um, programs are they putting into place to make sure that they are complying with state laws and regulations, but also going above and beyond that. Now,
1: now um, they are, let me interrupt leaders. you just briefly to say we have seen just in the past few weeks what happens when industry regulates itself. And Boeing has had a spectacular failure in an, in an industry that people are now saying isn't regulated enough. So there's going to be pushback on that idea.
3: Well, yes. And, then, you know, if you talk to industry leaders, they say we're doing what we can. But if you're talking to New Mexicans, maybe they do want to see a little bit more. And if that's what we're reaching for, great. But I, the, to, back to your point, which is how much of that that revenue that we're seeing is going to actually support those efforts. And if you talk to Secretary Kenny, he'll say, obviously, not enough, given that he keeps asking for monies to support the efforts that they're doing. If you talk to the oil conservation district, they need more, too, as well. Um, But again, I think that the state of New Mexico's response to that is, well, let's talk about raising royalties, which is also part of this package, right, to further support that work. And again, that's a burden on an industry that's already supporting so much of this state.
1: Yeah, good point. Um, But bigger picture, too. It's a budget session. Every agency, every department in government is coming to the table uh, with their operating budgets. Is climate even a top ten concern among lawmakers right now.
2: You know that's a that's a great question because um, I, I, you know, this is a budget session. You also you mentioned every agency going through. I mean, honestly, we have a lot of vacancy rates out there in a lot of state agencies. So there's there are going to be questions of you know lawmakers will be focused on the budget and vacancy rates and how much. They 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 need uh, each agency needs and the conversation around um, do we need to increase worker pay to 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 actually lure people to state agencies. Um, I will say it's 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 really interesting. It's twenty twenty four. Twenty nineteen was uh, Governor Lujan Grisham's first session, and that was a huge session when they passed the, what was it? The, I think it was the clean energy act. I can't remember what the, the exact name of it was. So there was a lot of hope and whatnot that was was happening in 2019. I think at this point, there are arguments over, um, Jessica, is it produced water? Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah. Coming out of, that's where some of the conversation is gonna be, which is, hey, look, um, we've got all this water here that we have excess. Maybe we can use it for whatever. Um, Hydrogen. How do we get? You know, is it green? Is it blue hydrogen? That's going to be a really interesting thing. Is it top ten? Probably top ten, but it's not going to be like next session. I expect a lot of these conversations to really dominate. Honestly. Yeah.
1: The governor talked about several economic development initiatives. If if we're not going to live on oil and gas, water, what else is there? That's always the big pressure. The state has already accomplished several things, including bringing in companies from Australia, Europe, and Asia, but what other economic development ideas or initiatives are you hearing about that we should keep tabs on this year? Jessica? Well,
3: they're not new, obviously. Our investment in the film industry continues to be um, of interest across the state. We look at what's happening the governor in her speech announced an investment um, from, you know, to build a full service um, film industry uh, infrastructure. And in Las Cruces, you're looking at um, 828 film studios investment in an old, um, what used to be an old mill in the city that will create dozens and dozens of jobs. And that's exactly what we want to see. Beyond that, um, renewable energies is always an area of focus for growth. And I think that the old argument is is renewable going to produce enough to replace uh, fossil fuels based industry still stands. Um, we're also looking at manufacturing, especially in southern New Mexico. We've seen great strides with that um, on the small scale. But we are hoping we continue to hope that tax credits and proposals coming from the governor and the legislators will help uh, induce more growth in that area.
2: Mm-hmm. Hey, can I add uh, You know, one thing that's maybe off the beaten path here is actually remediation. Um, which is uh there are a lot of mines and I'm going to talk about the northwest corner of the state where you have a lot of uranium mines and stuff like this there's a lot of federal money coming into the state in the next two or three years on all sorts of remediation and that's going to like increase uh, the number of jobs and that's so in some ways this is a very mineral rich state and um I think that, there's conversations up at the Capitol about how do we get people into remediation kind of projects because that's that's going to last for a, a little bit of time there. That's also economic diversification, even if it's not for seven eight decades, it's still going to be part of the diversification conversation. I think.
1: But we're not talking about eight decades. We're talking about. 30 days that the state constitution says we have to hammer out these. Part of the work of this session involves reaching an agreement between what legislators want and the governor's dream budget. They're all politicians, but they have very different political realities. So how hard is it gonna be in this year with uh, record revenues and disagreements about how much to save and crafting a budget, and do everything else that the governor laid out in her speech.
2: Um, I, I oh, Go ahead, Jessica.
1: I mean,
3: I just want to jump in and make one point, which is, we've been talking about oil and gas as the driver of the state economy. But one thing we haven't said is, oil and gas is a boom and bust industry. And we know this in New Mexico. We have experienced it firsthand. And, you know, even with the the outlook that this current uh uptick in production that puts us at number two in the nation right uh in the world um will maybe last 30 40 50 years and when you're talking about budgets and and long-term investments that's not a really long time
1: it's not um, jessica so- trip we have about 15 seconds left here is a 30 day session enough time to turn around the entire history of our state's
2: no, <laughs> economic no, picture no no But I will say that there's going to be discussions about creating endowment funds for state agencies in addition to the budget and the operating reserves because of this boom-bust cycle. We've got early childhood development, which has got multi-billion dollars, which you live off the interest. So that's going to be part of the budget conversation. Trust funds.
1: We're going to watch that. Yep. Thanks again to our panelists. We'll be back again for one final legislative preview in just a moment. Public safety and gun control are at the top of the governor's priorities going into this year's session. How do Democrats and Republicans differ in their approach to these issues? And are there places where they see eye to eye? Jessica.
3: There are places where we see eye to eye um, among the parties. I don't think anybody wants to see gun violence perpetrated on children uh, anywhere in the state. Um, I think uh, kudos to the governor who noted that uh, in her speech that responsible gun owners are, you know, a good thing to have. But the the target of much of this legislation is for those who are not responsible gun owners. Um, and while it might be, you know, politically savvy on her part to use buzzwords like assault rifles and assault weapons, um, you know, smart, strategic gun safety laws are, you know, keep New Mexicans safe in the long run.
1: Uh, of the nearly 40 crime-related bills introduced last year, only about 10 made it through the roundhouse. Uh, and some of those defeated proposals are back again this year. But the session is short, right? So how do you, trip? I'm coming to you on this, how do you expect Democrats in the House and Senate will prioritize the bills they want to send to the governor? Which of these ideas has the best chance of success? If it's not an assault weapons ban, uh, is it the waiting period? Uh, what do you think?
2: Um, I, 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 let me say this too. I want to throw in, this is also an election year. So we need to keep this in mind that, you know, a lot of this is is rhetorical and there's gonna be a lot of jockeying and positioning and people will be taking votes depending on you know the issue. I wanna say that the assault rifle ban, um, that's gonna generate a lot of heat. So I wouldn't imagine that that's gonna be easiest. You know, the 14 day waiting period, um, I think they will be, as happens in the legislature or any place where you have negotiations, the governor probably started at the high end, 14 days, and is probably going to negotiate down, I would imagine. That's Yeah, we're going to hear a something. lot about
1: the potential for these waiting periods to uh, stop mass shootings, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: And uh, at the same time, what I'm saying is basically she probably started on the high end, 14, and probably her her what she wants is seven days or something like this. There's a negotiation that's going to happen, I think. And I think that makes it maybe a little more viable than a ban. I, I that That's just me.
1: Who knows? When um, discussing firearm yeah. laws, is this the one topic that draws dissension among Democrats? I, I think we have seen that. But what power or leverage do Republicans have through the budgeting process when it comes to gun control? What, what, where are they going to exercise that, Jessica? Can I pass that question off to Trip? I think he might have a, a stronger. Yeah,
2: go ahead. So, so when, you, w- w- when you say what leverage they have, I mean, um, I I think again, returning to like the numbers, there's 45 and 25 in the House and 27, 15 in the Senate. What I think you're going to have is Republicans are going to go to some of these um, folks who are on in maybe you know suburbs, suburban Democrats, maybe rural Democrats, and say hey, you know, this is an election year, presidential election year. People are going to be turning out in in, in droves. And nobody massive, wants to be
1: on a campaign mailer about this. You know, one of the governor's proposals that, wants that to raise, exactly right. raise the age for buying certain yes, types of right. guns. And in Albuquerque, that might be a really easy sell, but you're getting someone in uh, Farmington who's like, why, you know?
2: I think the GOP is able to leverage, you know, some of these Democrats. Some of their who rural are,
1: compatriots.
2: And people who grow up in, as Jessica was mentioning, I mean, hunting culture, right? I mean, there's th- hunting culture or just people in rural areas who, for whom guns are just a way of life. Those are Democrats, too, in some ways.
1: That's right. I'm going to weigh
3: in briefly and just say that I think when you're talking about the Republican response, they're going to point to what's happening right now, which is red flag laws that are not being enforced. Um, you're talking about um, data from our communities that shows that Um, laws to keep guns out of the hands of violent criminals do not work and they are often repeat offenders and come back to their weapon of choice. So if, if Republicans are leveraging something to get this into a conversation um, at the state house, it's going to be what's
1: happening in New Mexico. And there's right. some data to support them there, too. Shifting gears to education, teachers unions from Albuquerque and Santa Fe spoke out last year against the state's decision to expand the school year to 180 days, as have rural communities where we're talking about uh, school buses running fewer days a week. They said this would scare teachers away, and it would complicate existing four-day school weeks. So, what are lawmakers doing this year to address those concerns from teachers and school administrators?
2: I mean, I, I, you know, the governor is going to push for the 180 days. I mean, that was in her speech, and so you're going to see that the party in control is there's going to be an internal debate. Uh, among Democrats who were like, hey, I think we should do this. And I want to throw in this too. We had a pandemic which altered school attendance. There's a great like attendance depletion happening. right after. there's a
1: huge problem with attendance you can require yeah. them this is what some of the teachers are saying you can require them to go but are they going to show up
2: i mean and, I, this is a national story not just new mexico it's just yeah but yes it's going to be a, a really interesting debate to watch
1: jessica there's a tension with teachers who say we are doing the hardest dang job out there and if you push us one more time we're going to quit so I
3: had a conversation with a teacher who's from my hometown school district, the Loving School District. They're on a four-day school week right now. Um, and that's exactly what she said. Look, we are doing our best. We're understaffed. We're underresourced. We're underpaid. Can we focus on issues that are a little more pertinent right now than expanding the school day when we're just now getting our feet under us post-pandemic? And I think if you talk to parents, too, they'll probably have more questions as well. What do we you know what do we do with our, our children? How do we su- how do we support their uh, educational learning at home more instead of you know messing with the schedule that they most of them have been in
1: for years now?
2: I, 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 can I add some stuff? I want may- you know what
1: Trip, I want to keep us moving here because the governor is doubling down on the state's structured literacy program. She wants thirty million dollars to create a statewide literacy institute as well as $30 million for a free literacy summer program that would serve 10,000 students. Would these two new initiatives stretch an already thin education workforce, even thinner? Or do people think that this is gonna help teachers and students and it's worth pushing for?
2: I think being around the roundhouse, you know, and the debates, I think everybody agrees that it's not one thing, not silver bullet. There's a lot of different things, and I think this is one of those ideas that's among the many things that one can, you know, push for. I want to say, as far as stretching the workforce, um, people paying attention to education here in New Mexico and across the state is you've got looming retirements. Uh, I mean, what I, by, by which I mean there are a lot of teachers who are nearing the retirement age who are like, do I need more of this? Do I need more of the hassle? Uh, maybe I'll retire. Do we have enough teachers to actually fill those positions? Um, as far as parents um, and structured literacy and all this kind of stuff we also have to ask questions around child care it, I, by which i mean is there going to be affordable child care if they are working and their their kids you know if there's all sorts of questions around this stuff
1: you know one one complaint that we've heard from the teachers on this is that nobody's asking them whether they want mm-hmm. to do this right um so you know, this is, this is a tension, again, we, it is an election year trip, right? Everyone is, is, when they're thinking about making these decisions, they're picturing their own faces on a campaign ad in their town or on a mailer that's going into mailboxes saying they did or didn't do a thing, right? Now, why might it be the case that there is such a disconnect between what the given governor is saying she wants to do and state lawmakers who are like, I don't know, I haven't talked to her, and state lawmakers and teachers who are like, why doesn't anybody ask us these questions? Uh, why is there this disconnect?
3: I had noticed she called out on several people who were sitting in the gallery in the audience, and when she was, you know, highlighting this portion of her um, of her work, um, and there were teachers there. Was a math teacher from Las Cruces, a school, public district, and they were all presumably smiling and nodding their heads in agreement with the, with this program but that's one person among you know thousands of teachers in the state so i do think that you're right in saying there, there's probably a disconnect um, i think that we we understand the political pressure of moving us from very bottom of the of the list as the state to very top of the list which is a huge goal um, but i also think that maybe in their minds they are saying we need to set the goals we need to set the standards and then scoop everyone into that. Um, There is value in having conversations with teachers. Obviously, they're the ones on the ground. They're the ones doing the work. But if you don't set a North Star, then how are you ever going to, to reach
1: it? Trip, you know, the, it's, it's tempting in an election year, if you put yourself in the shoes of a politician, it's tempting to pick off things, uh, sexy sounding projects, things you think you can accomplish really quickly, setting up a new thing, as opposed to, you know, for years we've been talking about investing more in early childhood education, now it's happening, but that we're not seeing that hit graduation rates yet, you know, it's going to be a long time before that.
2: I you know, when you are up at the roundhouse or you you you're around committee meetings, you know, around the state, around education, uh, the people who are monitoring this, they're talking about a couple of generations. I mean, making all these investments, it takes a long time for these kind of investments to really you see the outcomes um, a generation or two out later. So when I'm up at the roundhouse, you know it's it's i think as a reporter it sometimes might be tempting to really get um oh there's a shiny bobble let's go cover that or let's do this the real work is like i mean the hard work is the hard slog that we're talking about which is you know the Sorry, the wonkiness, the stuff that frankly makes people like gla- their eyes glaze over it, that stuff is important.
1: But it, and it's I mean, a balance, too. It's like, what can we do that's going to make a difference right now? What little things can we change today? And 180 school year is one of those quick things that people are hoping could make a difference right away. And then investing in early childhood is more of the, the big picture. Jessica, do you have any so- last thoughts? I do, actually. So I'm not up
3: at the roundhouse, but I am in the school board meetings where you hear teachers and parents and, you know, members of these communities. And I think the pervasive idea there is that we appreciate the input. We appreciate the money, but our school districts are are the purview are of local school boards. So we a lot about.
1: Yeah, we're going to hear a lot about that tension between local control, which I know Republicans are pushing for. So for one last time, I'd like to thank you panelists. We so appreciate your expertise uh, and this discussion, and we wish you luck on your continued coverage of this year's legislative session.
0: Thanks for listening this week. You can expect more interviews from Inside the Roundhouse again next Monday on the podcast. Be sure to follow our pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube throughout the week. You can give us feedback or just stay up to date as we post previews and news items leading up to our show on Friday night. Thanks again, everyone. I'm senior producer Lou DeVizio for Monday, January 22nd, 2024. This is New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. Have a great week, everyone.